as well. So don't spoil it if you're doing Cardiac <laughs> 7 Tesla yet. But to get the free breathing, you need to increase the number of averages you do. Obviously. So you're just talking about implants. What about scanning pacemaker patients? Oh, pacemaker patients are usually the funny one. From congenital perspective, like, but also for adults, it's just like you have one sequence with which you can see the whole flow. So what's your suggestion like for a radiographer that approached cardiac MRI for the very first time? Keeping the shin box as small as possible around the heart, trying to avoid as much as possible air, both from outside the body of the patient and then from the lungs. So I think the opportunity you had was one of a kind, basically. My, yes, my, it's yes, not absolutely. something that you find on LinkedIn jobs or anything no, like that. No, unfortunately not. listen to me. How can you do like a stress perfusion exactly. remotely. Well, um, 055 has the same pro issue problem that the 7T, which is the ACG again, starting off. That Filippo is also a research radiographer. And here exactly. we open another and word. Filippo, the day has come finally. Everyone wanted this moment, us talking about cardiac a little bit. I mean, since we opened this uh, page, this company, I mean, the social media of everything MRI, we have received a lot of messages from people asking, when are you talking about cardiac MRI? Uh, how, can you do, how can I do this in cardiac MRI? Um, so yeah, I think has been quite a topic that um, we have discussed very little, but the interest is massive. Um, we actually made a few videos just to discussing a little bit the planning of cardiac MRI sequences, but uh, I think the time to have a guest here discussing every single aspect in cardiac MRI has finally come, and we have you, and I'm kind of like super happy about this because I know you are a cardiac expert, and I want to start from here, to be honest. I think you have a very peculiar journey because you are, the, do, only, yes. you are the only radiographer that I know that started straight away working in cardiac MRI. Not even X-ray, not even CT. You graduate and then you went straight to cardiac MRI. How is that even possible? <laughs> well, it's been a journey, as you said. Um, it all started in Italy, um, where, where I got this offer, essentially, to come to London uh, just to uh, learn cardiac MRI, because uh, um, here in UK, as you know, there is banding, so you need to do band 5, band 6, band 7 before, and cardiac MRI is usually band 7 radiography. Mine was an internal project, I think, of the hospital, just to have someone coming and after university and do just cardiac MRI and see how he developed and everything else, which I think it went quite well. And um, so I, um, but because they cannot hire band five or band six, they asked from somebody coming from abroad. So I got this offer, which was very good. And then I accepted it. It was uh, uh, at the beginning a six months training post um, where I, and I thought it was a very good opportunity essentially to learn something that in Italy was not developed uh, very well yet. And then, so I accepted and uh, yes, well, six months is now 10 years next year. So wow. it's, uh, it's so been, you've been uh, in London for 10 years now. 10 years now only and always in the cardiac. same department, only in cardiac and always same in the department, same department. Same, same hospital, yes, same exactly. everything. Same everything, yes. That's um, amazing. Yeah. The only difference is that, correct me if I'm wrong, now you are the deputy lead, we call it deputy superintendent here, for the cardiac MRI department, yeah? Yes, correct. So I started as a training post, not knowing anything essentially all uh, in Iowa. My career has progressed since then. I want to mention something about the place where you work, actually, because it's very renowned. It's King's College London. And we know that uh, in your department, you have how many scanners? Um, uh, well, <laughs> uh, I was not ready for this. I think six <laughs> or seven, essentially. Six or seven. Okay. And I know you mainly do cardiac, just yes. with those scanners. And I think, let's say, 10 patients... Eight, ten, ten, twelve, maybe less than that for every scanner per day. Yes, per day, roughly, yeah, yes. yeah. So I would say like probably around sixty cardiac patients per day. Is yes. that correct? Uh, yeah, more or less depending on yeah. the day. But well, yes. how, Which, how big is your team? Uh, we are thirteen radiographers. Yeah. And I know you have different magnetic field strength. You have. This is a kind of, again, very peculiar. And that's why, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 no, no, it's weird fair. character, but you also work in a weird place because you do cardiac with 1.5 and so far so good, three Tesla, and then people must say, wow, cardiac at three Tesla, is it actually uh, suggested, possible? And then you're doing cardiac at 0.55. 
We just started, yes. You but just yes, started. yes, we don't do cardiac. We're still yeah. under research in some way, yeah. but yes, we Because started. this is obviously a research facility as well. You run a lot of research as well and about cardiac as well. And you have a seven Tesla scanner as well. So don't spoil it if you're doing cardiac <laughs> seven Tesla <laughs> yet. But let's start with the 1.5 uh, versus 3T. Uh, firstly, my first question for you is, which one do you prefer? Well, it depends on what you want to see for in a patient. So what's the, why the patient is coming for a cardiac MRI. If it's mainly a coronary pathology, so which the patient requires the stress, uh, three Tesla win, uh, uh, like, with very low hand, uh, while if instead we are talking about a general scan, probably 1.5. From a radiographer perspective, it's easier on a 1.5 because it requires less shimming, um, but uh, yeah, 3 Tesla for stress patient are, is, is they actually the master essentially. Okay, this is quite we interesting. I have to say something, you were talking about pathology as well. Which one is the most common pathology that you get at your center and which scanner do you use most often to cover that patrol. Uh, we got a lot of patients arriving with uh, uh, troponin rays, uh, so uh, suspicious of uh, potential uh, myocarditis. Yep. Uh, that's one. Um, a lot of uh, coronary artery disease. Um, that's I think is the main two, and then obviously like uh, people with chest pain. And you also that's do coming congenitals for. as well. We do congenital as well. Yes, we have uh, about twelve congenital patients uh, okay. per week. And so sorry to interrupt. So, uh, just to go on that line of the congenital, if someone listening at home uh, that wants to start cardiac and they don't know what a congenital is. And what's the difference between a healthy heart and a congenital? Okay. Uh, can you describe that for us? Oh, yes, of course. Uh, congenital patients are patients that have a bone, essentially, with uh, um, something anomalous within the heart. And uh, so they had an operation usually when they're really young, even when they're literally um, babies. And then, obviously, because of their operation, we need to check how the heart is doing um, during their lifetime, essentially. So they need so follow-ups oh, yeah, yeah, in they their whole life. Yes, so and they start, sorry. That's usually harder to scan, right? It's, um, I would not suggest anyone to start with congenital <laughs> patient uh, first, but always with normal heart, I would say, and then moving over to congenital. Because sometimes like they have, I don't know, the, the systemic uh, system start from the right instead of the left. Okay. As per normal, they have the heart on the right side instead so of the left. So inverse as well. Yes, exactly. Wow. And then, um, yeah, there is a lot of pathologies, wow. to be honest. So. And Wonderful. I think most of them are scanned without contrast, correct me if I'm wrong. The congenital patient are usually scan be, uh, uh, without contrast, uh, main reason is because we're not looking to see if there is any scar. Yeah. Um, and the other reason is because if we give contrast every single time they have an MRI, some patient has an MRI each single year, to be honest. Yeah. So um, there is no study proving that the contrast is affecting um, the system or anything else, but there is some proof about the pituitary mm, gland and the accumulation in the pituitary yeah. gland and everything. So it's not ideal. Okay, yeah. If it's not strictly necessary, yeah, we avoid to give contrast yeah, yeah. at that I point. I think this can be applied also to other types of yes, scans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And just to go back to the comparison between 1.5 and 3T, I was actually quite curious about this. You mentioned stress perfusion at 3T. I think someone wanted to ask you also how you yep. do stress perfusion. <laughs> but firstly, why? Wh what is the main advantages? Uh, I mean, of doing like stress perfusion at 3T. This is one of the questions that we receive quite a lot. Is it the SNR? that you have? Oh yeah, yeah, you have an amazing SNR and then it's very good to see a macrovascular disease which instead 1.5 usually miss. Um, but is the sequence itself? The sequence itself, um, it's obviously more or less the same. It's the signal that it's, yeah. uh, it's much, yeah. um, it's greater on yeah. the 3T, uh, giving like obviously a better visualization. Now they're developing also maps for the stress perfusion, which yeah. will help also with the diagnosis. I think also generally now, uh, I mean, we can say this, we work together, obviously. And I think <laughs> we can actually spoil yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> say, I and say, and yes. <laughs> and uh, actually, uh, I remember that and that on that scanner, that 3T scanner. I think also the um, uh, late Cadolinium announcement 3T was particularly nice. It can be challenging a little bit, but yeah, some sometimes, you know, for patients that were collaborating, I, 
I can see your face. You might not agree, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> I do partially agree. Uh, on treaty, sometimes, I mean, it's usually better, but not always. It depends a lot on uh, the patient, if the patient has an implant or anything else, because mm. obviously you get more, uh, more artifact. And then uh, if the patient is uh, in AF, atrial fibrillation, so it doesn't have, um, it's not in sinus or it's not able to hold his breath, usually instead 1.5 there. It's, it's a bit better, but mainly, I think, for implant perspective, obviously. So you're just talking about implants. What about scanning pacemaker patients? Oh, pacemaker patients are usually the funny one. Um, so we usually do the pacemaker patient on the 1.5 for okay. that reason, because obviously we, we have much less um, artifact. Uh, the structure we have at King's for pacemaker patient is mainly on the radiographer checking if the pacemaker is MRI um, conditional or not. Uh, and there is an amazing website called My MRI Pacemaker in which you can just oh, check yeah. it. Everything very yeah, easy over there. there. We know about yeah. one of our partners called North Insight. They actually have a platform where you can check all the implants. Okay, fine. Why do you know about that? So I it's good for everyone to know there's another one yes. that we can use. Wonderful. I think it's uh, mymrapismaker.com or .co.uk. I'm not sure wonderful. about that. But we'll leave it on the description Google later yes, on. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and then, uh, so we check if is MRI conditional or not, and if if it's not, we need to proceed with an off-label procedure, which okay. is another level of uh, bureaucracy, essentially. For that? So you have an we SOP have an SOP, yes, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, that's awesome. Um, we just actually, I just was part of the team rewriting the pacemaker one, which has been approved, I think, two weeks ago. So it's a very, very fresh and again. Do you, yeah. do you do those pacemakers just on 1.5? You don't do them on the three Tesla? No, because the artifact will cause too much trouble, I think. And then the image quality is, is it, not going to be Is it just the artifact or also the fact that some of them might not be compatible at 3T? Oh, yeah, no, obviously, if, if, yes, of course. It might be a little bit of both, actually. Yeah, it could be both. Um, because I, actually, I think I came across some pacemakers that they were actually conditioned up yeah. to 3T. Absolutely. So I was actually wondering, oh, actually we have the possibility. But yeah, I think the artifact would be detrimental to be honest for the image quality. He's already yeah. at 1.5 to be honest for some patients. This yeah. is why you need to adopt positioning for patients like... Um, I think once you told me some tips and tricks to get good image quality with pacemaker, I think some people might be interested about this. <laughs> what do you do? So um, we usually position the patient as per normal, so arm by uh, by the side, and then we perform the localizer. And it all depends where the pacemaker is, to be honest, because uh, if um, it can be uh, in the pectoral region, it can be a little bit more on the side. Um, so we do the perform the first image. Uh, one trick you can use for pacemaker is just asking the patient to keep the arm above the head. Uh, that will move the pa uh, pacemaker away, essentially yeah. the main box away from, from the heart, which is the anatomical region we are interested in. Although um, keeping the patient with the arms up is not the most comfortable position. Mm. So uh, obviously in cardiac MRI, exactly. might be hard to do, I would say. And 45 minutes scan yeah. can, be, um, can be detrimental for them. So uh, that's uh, a trick in any case. And then uh, we start with the normal CNE that we normally do, uh, but the BSSFP one. And then uh, if he's, they're not good enough because there is too much artifact, we then proceed with an increment of the bandwidth within the... Yeah. Sequence, and again, if that one is not working, we move then to the um, fla uh, the um, gradient echo sequence. Sorry, yeah. flash sequence for the machine I'm using. Yeah. What you do if uh, if a patient has a pacemaker on the back? I'm asking this because my grandfather had a pacemaker and he had to replace it three times. Wow. Okay. And he had it on the left side, then on the right side. Then they tried to put it on the belly. They couldn't, so they put it on his back. <laughs> wow. Uh, I, I didn't even so know I, it was possible. Yeah, I know, so me neither, to be honest. Because I've never done one did of those. Did you encounter a patient with a pacemaker <laughs> no, on the back? No, it's the first thing. It's the first time <laughs> okay, here. Okay, is it your grandfather? So. My grandfather. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, he passed away. Oh, but, yeah. no, I wanted actually yeah. to tell you. Yeah, get him on board. Okay, so I have another question, if you don't mind, just to rewind a little bit when Julian was talking about stress perfusion. And we talked about that you have a 70 um, scanner and we spoke on the background that you're not doing cardiac there. Yes. Um, but my question is, um, we're moving more and more to do stress perfusion on three Tesla. What do you think about seven Tesla? Would that also be something that we can move forward to? Or, or you think there's too many complications at this point at seven Tesla to go? 
Uh, as far as I'm concerned, there are going to be, at the moment, there is too many complications. First of all, getting a, a diagnostic ACG. So obviously, we, you can't mm, perform uh, yeah. a scan without uh, having an ACG. And uh, seven Tesla is still in development for that. Um, it's uh, from a safety perspective, there is a lot of restriction over seven Tesla. Uh, like, for example, even dental implant for patients, some okay. of them are not compatible because wow. they can break the capsules. What, what about ascension. the retainer? Is it also an issue? Um, retainer, I think think they, they should be okay, but yeah. that's not, it's not I my field. Know so I'm, I know about because I did a um, couple of research about that and then some uh, um, um, implant, the implant, they can break essentially and leak wow, the this is, this liquid is, this inside. Is super it's interesting. Not good. Yeah. This is super interesting because if you think about it now, the approach is, well, most patients, when you come with the safety questionnaire, will say, well, I have feelings, I have dental. And you say, no, yeah. you're absolutely yeah, fine. Exactly. Can it's you imagine if you have to redefine completely your way of working? Oh, do you have feelings? No, 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 wait, don't move over I there. I think exactly. the higher we go, more complex it becomes yeah. and you were just talking about the ECG and we know that it missed triggers sometime on three Tesla so I think it's going to be already a, an issue as soon as you put a patient on seven Tesla I so think so yes is, is it the noise on the ECG I mean the R wave and the T yeah, wave yeah I think he's not reading correctly I mean it's fine obviously if there is no uh, radio frequency impulse but as soon as you start to obviously scan the patient yeah. then the ECG that's when it missed triggers yes. wow that's very interesting but again it's not my field so it's uh, yeah. it needs, it needs absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. actually um, someone actually gave me a very interesting assist because he said and I would say correctly that we're trying to push to go, you know, up with the magnetic field. But at some point, your hospital decided to go down. So they <laughs> we decided do, to yes. get like the 0.55. I was like, wow, what is this change of direction? Um, so yeah, there is this helium-free uh, helium scanner, correct me nearly, nearly, yeah. nearly, nearly, free, nearly, nearly free. And that, interestingly, you're using for cardiac research. I saw some potential results as well. I will give you my take, but then obviously you give me your feedback, which is the most important one. Um, I think for follow-up, for the images I saw, it might be a good option. Um, would cardiologists get used to it? It seems a little bit too poor of a scenario, in my opinion, maybe. So I doubt it. They would do it in my clinical practice. But yeah, I would say for a follow-up patient, like a congenital that might come like years after year, that might might be a good option, but tell me more about it. Well, um, 055 has the same pro issue problem that the 7T, uh, which is the ACG again, starting off, uh, because uh, the 055 is a machine which is not being created for cardiac. So we don't have a proper cardiac gating coming from the manufacturer, and so we do um, an external gating. So we attach a machine which uh, connect to the main machine for the yeah, okay. uh, gating. And that's causing Just already... Just like a vital signs monitor. That yes, exactly. And so we can get the ACG and the ACG connect with the machine so we can scan. But uh, that caused the first layer of problem of just like it's not enough. It's not part of the machine itself. So if the patient moves, uh, radio frequencies does interfere uh, with, the, with the scanning itself. Um, regarding image quality, I have to say I started at 055 uh, like... Uh, would say seven, eight months ago now. And uh, well, image quality has improved massively. But I, ah. I do agree with you for if there is like a small scar, suspicious of a small scar, uh, um, it's not, uh, it's still not like the, the, the greatest machine to mm. scan this kind of patient. Yeah. None of the sequence are product at the moment, hence it's all research. Uh, so patient needs to consent to come to have a scan on the 055 and we usually do that on the 1.5 or 3T and then on the 0.5. So you inform the patient in which scan they, which scanner they we have. We ask them exam. to come back. So they have the normal clinical scan and they come back for the scan on the oh, 0.5. Okay. So that's the research part of it. Correct, yes. Okay, okay so they have their scan in the 1.5 or 3T and then they have another Correct. scan. Okay, that's fine. That's very interesting, actually, yeah. the way you set it up. Yeah, yeah it's really nice. And then uh, no, and then obviously there is a whole problem for the implants because uh, all implants are conditional at 1.5 and 3D, Absolutely. but there is no uh, non-official rules for the 0.55. Yeah, that's so one of the conversations that we need to have in the future yeah, because uh, implants are massive now. Everyone has implants. Yeah. And they're all labeled for 1.5 and some of them for 3 Tesla. And then so correct me if I'm wrong, we have touched fields. base about this yeah, yeah, during absolutely. the forum as well. By the way, thank you for whoever attended yes. the Everything in My <laughs> Forum, which was a great success. And we were a little bit stressed, but thank you. And I think we very briefly touched base about this. And as you're saying, 
some implants might be compatible at 1.5, but is it actually mentioned if they will be compatible at 0.55? You have to scan off-label, basically, yeah, all correct. the time. Yeah. They're all off-label. It's like an open scanner. Yes. It's also off-label. You have to do it the same way. Yeah, exactly. We're now doing a lot of um, SOPs about implants for as soon as the physicists are happy, essentially, with that. But like a cardiac uh, monitor, like uh, um, reveal device, so pacemaker, yep. obviously, are still a massive no at the moment. on. Uh, so on, on, on top of that, actually, you, to you were talking about the, the gating. So there's ret retrospective gating and prospective gating yes. and also free breathing. Uh, which one you think is the best and why? And if you're scanning on a 1.5, which one you choose? If you're scanning on 3 Tesla, which one you choose? Uh, what's the rationale for you to choose one or the other? Um, it depends on the patient, essentially. Um, we usually scan uh, all the CINI in uh, prospective ga uh, yep. retrospective yep. gating, sorry, and then you move to prospective in the moment the patient has, for example, atrial fibrillation, um, all the LG sequence uh, as well as the T1 map instead are a prospective because you need to trigger a specific part of the, the uh, cardiac, cardiac cycle. cycle. Yep. Um, free breathing, I have to say now the late guard are all free breathing. Um, really? Even mm. like the long axis, all of them? All long, long axis yeah, and we, short axis. We also axis. do it that way actually with the rest scans. Correct, uh, yes. We do the late guard hmm. with the free breathing. And it's very good, I have to say image quality is amazing. So they have the motion correction. They have motion yeah. correction, yes, exactly. So retrospective prospective gating is very good if the patient is not in sinus so if he's in AF so and then obviously the machine is struggling and triggering and then the picture become very blurred essentially because you can so distinguish ju ju just to clarify this because this is one of the questions we have seen like many times so what's your suggestion like for a radiographer that approached cardiac MRI for the very first time when um, they have to deal with like a patient who has arrhythmia, for instance. How do you start? You start with a retrospective and then you move to something else. I would say so. Yes, um, it's become you need to you need to have a little bit of an eye, I would say, on that one, because uh, you need to understand that when um, doctor essentially draw the circle for to make the final diagnosis, they need mainly to uh, they need the systolic and the diastolic phase. So you need to be able to see both. Um, if you're not, because obviously uh, the, there is too much motion due to the um, incorrect gating, um, because the patient is in IF or has a topics, uh, the first solution, I would say, always start with the retrospective and then move to prospective okay. as a yeah. Second, uh, Do you try free breathing as well for the scenes? Um, free breathing for the sinus if the patient is not compliant with uh, um, holding his breath, essentially. Um, yeah. Free breathing with arrhythmia. I actually had a patient today uh, and the picture came up quite good. Um, I actually wanted to ask you this because I know that some radiographers on that specific in that specific hospital, they might suggest you a different thing, meaning that if a patient has arrhythmia, they move from retrospective, they skip the prospective part, they go straight into free breathing, which apparently some of them claim you might get better image quality. But to get the free breathing, you need to increase the number of averages you're doing. So the number of cardiac cycles yep. you are triggering, meaning you're going to have more motion. I'm mm. not in total agreement with that, <laughs> okay. to be honest. That, that's why we have this conversation, you, actually. You, you, need to, you need to discuss <laughs> with <Yes>. your team. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I ask another yeah. question on top of that, actually? So there's actually two questions in one. So one of them is the free breathing uh, question. With the advancement of AI... Uh, I believe I've read a few articles that we're trying to move as much as possible through free breathing scans. Uh, what's your opinion on that? If you believe that's actually going to happen. Free breathing scan, I have to say, um, so depends how you're doing the free breathing. If you're using real time, there is a lot of uh, discussion and contrast in within the cardiologist about that okay. because uh, the position obviously changed depending on the patient breathing and everything else. If you intend free breathing with an increment of the averages, you need to also think that obviously you are like increasing the time of three, four times. So and cardiac is not already a short uh, type of scan, so you can get like to have 45 minutes can just for like doing uh, function and, uh, and guard, uh, which might not be very good for all patients, I would say. Mm, but, yes, apologies. But what I think was also he's asking, what if you have like a, 
um, algorithm like deep learning. Yeah. So oh, are yeah, you, no, are yes, you able okay. to accelerate you can a little bit? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We use a lot of compression sensing at the moment, which is obviously yeah. accelerating quite yeah. a lot. And it's very, yeah. very so good. Parallel imaging. Parallel uh, imaging. And do you have also like an AI software integrated in any of your scanners <laughs> that you're using at the moment? Yes, yeah, we do. Yes, it's yeah. a deep resolve one. And then, as I said, uh, coming with the compression sensing um, and then making this can much more shorter. Does, does it allow you to, yeah, does it allow you to accelerate a little bit the cardiac yes. scan? Oh yeah, no, massively. Because I think what I, usually we tend to associate this type of scan as one of the most complex and advanced for the patient as well, because they have to hold their breath multiple times consistently and efficiently. Sometimes for an hour or more. Yes, yeah, sometimes yeah. for an hour. So I think the idea of a, like reducing the time <coughs> of scanning is pretty important in this field. So do you, do you think, obviously you require more time, I think, um, did you have the software recently? Did you have it installed recently? Yeah, yeah. I have to say, it's funny because I start back in 2015 where, where I had, where the single brittles for a, a long axis was about 14, 15 seconds. Okay. And now we are dropped down to six seconds on wow. the most recent machines. And you machine, do so inspiration or expiration? We tend to do everything expiration. There is study proving that. Expiration? Yes. Is it, that because when you do it in inhale, the pressure on the that you built in is is it worse for the patient to hold it or you what, have what's more hair in the lungs which can be creating more artifact essentially okay. and that's one reason then there is a couple of study uh, saying that uh, doing an expiration essentially you have the heart more or less always in the same position mm, compared okay. to inspiration because awesome. obviously when you are in inspiration you take much more air yeah. so yeah and you never do basically the same level of inspiration basically you can do a deep breath hold and then the next one is just a small, small one. Correct. Absolutely. But what's the best practice always in cardiac is um, instructing the patient. So what I always do before starting is each scan is just trying the breathing instruction with the patient a couple of times. It's, it's very yeah, useful I think it's because... Communication they, is key. Because yeah. so, yeah. uh, most of the patients have to say, like, um, they do breathing, breathe out, hold your breath, but they keep breathing out up until, like, the lungs are completely mm -hmm. empty. So they don't stop when you say hold your breath and then your sequence starts. So that's coming from a little bit from experience of just, like... You need to stop straight away when so I said hold your breath. So you with them yes. right before starting right. the scan. Yes. I think that's a great approach, yeah, to be honest. Absolutely. It works the same way with claustrophobic yes, patients. Correct. We just yeah. train them and then yeah. we go and do it. Yeah, awesome. I was actually reflecting on the fact that I wonder if AI will allow us to reduce a little bit those artifacts you mentioned at 3T and 3T will become the main, like the most used like magnetic field, the most approachable magnetic field for cardiac MRI. I wonder that, to be honest, because... I mean, based on my memories about cardiac 3T, image quality wasn't too bad. The, one of the major issues was shimming, to be honest. And I think this is a question we have received quite a lot of time. What do you recommend to improve the quality of those scenes? Scenes, I think, is one of the yeah. major issues in cardiac MRI at 3T. Not sure if AI will help. I think is. Is, he, is has been helping quite a lot in different fields. Like if you want to mention later on, I think you have been using a little bit the auto align as well, yeah. using AI a tiny bit. There is a possibility to get that one as well. Yep. But yeah, I haven't heard yet about AI in cardiac MRI sorting out all this kind of like <laughs> um, radio frequency artifacts or dark bending. So I don't know, do you have like uh, any tips and tricks, any flow, troubleshooting? Flow artifacts as well, I think. Flow artifacts, yes. A big one. yes. I, I, it's all coming under, I think, like a bit of uh, the shimmings and the knowledge of what to do with the shimming. Um, so try to keep the shim box as close as possible to the heart, avoiding any hair coming So from we're talking about active shimming, I mean, basically. active shimming, yes. Just uh, to make it clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, sorry, yes, absolutely. Um, keeping the shim box as small as possible around the heart, trying to avoid as much as possible air, both from... Uh, um, outside the body of the patient and then from the lungs. Uh, that's the first trick. Then you perform the first image you see is not good. Um, you have then at that point two routes that you can follow. The first one is try to reposition the shimming, uh, the shim box, uh, possibly parallel to where you see essentially the flow acceleration. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So where you see the, the um, artifact which most of the time works. And then obviously if that one is not work, you approach like what is called a, a frequency scout. So you check which are the fre correct mm. frequency for that specific patient and then you scan all the scene with that sick frequency. Okay, so you're basically shifting the artifact away, right? Yeah. From correct. The, oh, wow. the same way when you move the arms up, you're shifting the, the pacemaker, pacemaker artifact yeah. away of it. So let's say you move to a seven Tesla. I know you're not doing it. 
but let's suppose what would be the problem with the flow uh, artifacts there i think it would be it would be great even than worse than, yes than yeah? and i have another question i don't know if it's relatable but one of my colleagues that works with cardiac he asked me to ask you this so i'm gonna ask you um he's asking if uh, dsi tratography is routinely done or if it's more of research tool at this point and if you do it or not i never heard of it <laughs> so okay. i would say no we don't yeah. use it that's why no problem that's yeah. fine not a problem i think it's it's kind of rare to be yeah. honest so I'd, i i've never done it never seen it uh is just interested on it so i believe that's why Absolutely, he asked yeah, so yeah. we could learn as well but i actually need to ask you none of us know what, it. What's that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna yeah. be okay, let's, let's invite him let's get him on <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know too that's why he was asking okay uh, well uh, there you go so we have the possibility now <clears throat> can you just repeat can can we is just ask DSI someone from the audience say it again yeah. DSI tratography is the same thing that you do for the brain. Yeah, for cardiac. MRI. But it's for cardiac. And you can, ah. I've I've seen some pictures because when he asked me, I was just like, okay, okay what is he talking about? So I went wow. straight away to read some papers, and it's awesome. The DSI or DTI? DSI. Okay. So I I thought it's the same thing, but I probably I don't know if it's okay. that's wrong. Okay. Okay. Uh, People we'll from see. the audience, please. Just Come. comment, just comment and let <laughs> us know. Come and help us. <laughs> we need to learn more. We told you, I think, the very first episode, we're here actually to learn more. Absolutely. That's yeah. why we invited Filippo. And that's why we wanted to learn more about this. But yeah, if someone knows anything about this, please come and yeah. assist us. Um, to crack on with what we were saying about the cardiac as well, um, there is one bit that I wanted to ask you uh, on top of this. Now we have asked you many questions about troubleshooting. Is that anything you would strongly recommend to someone that wants to approach cardiac? So someone that hasn't started yet, someone that wants to learn cardiac, because I mean, um, some of the query we have received is like, do I need to attend a course? Is that like a cardiac training somewhere in the world that I can attend? It must be an in-house course. Uh, it must be an in-house training. So what you, what would you recommend yeah, to I someone? Have, wants to I had that question as well. Uh, if a student or someone that just finishes their degree and they want to do what you did, start straight away with okay. cardiac, how, how you go about that? Um, I would say attending a course would be useful at the beginning, but you need to, we are a radiographer at the end of the day. Our work is very practical. So mm. you need to be at the scanner and then being able to scan as much as possible in order to learn cardiac. My um, career here started with as just an observer for two months because I was waiting for the registration. And then uh, that was useful because I learned a lot of tips and tricks, essentially. But without doing it every single day, I realized that I was missing something, essentially. Okay. So I think the opportunity you had was one of a kind, basically. My, yes, my, it's yes, not absolutely. something that you find on LinkedIn jobs or anything no, like that. No, And you know any courses that you could suggest? I know one in Southampton, which is quite good, quite hands-on. I don't, hands I don't, I don't think they're running. They're not doing no, it anymore. I'm not, I'm not sure. I've done it a few years ago, yeah. so I don't know. <laughs> Do you know any courses that you can suggest for someone that's just trying to get into cardiac scan? We, the, the KCL run a course uh, for radiographers. Um, we also, uh, SCM MR now it's um, um, we are actually because I'm involved in that uh, doing some uh, um, how's it called it's not podcast uh, some presentation about okay. essentially cardiac MRI tips tricks um, anatomy and everything else planning so as planning well. and yeah. Yeah. but it's not a certified course basically is people can just go and watch it or is well, it actually you, can uh, you get need a diploma or something like that uh, it, no it's not certified course but it's um, it's it's a really good course I mean yeah. the uh, CMR one it's yeah I think yeah I think this is what we have at the moment, meaning like uh, very good places, very skilled like places that have like a lot of radiographers that are running very useful courses. I think we don't have like a specific exactly. qualification something certified for, for something it. certified. And that would be yeah. an, interest, an interesting thing. I know universities are kind of like now like getting a some... graduate plan or something like yeah, that? In yeah, in their postgraduate, like in MRI, they have the cardiac module yep. now yep. because I think they have realized it's pretty like... It's so more like master's level, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, but still, I mean, you would have a master perhaps in MRI, but you, there, there is not like qualification. There's just like, one component about yeah. cardiac. Yeah, well, uh, which, is, which is weird because we have the role, um, at least in the UK, as, as cardiac MRI radiographer. But yeah, you're as like you're an uh, yeah. MR safety officer, right? <laughs> yes. So technically, you are qualified as a. Well, I I did an exam and I have yeah, a certification, and that's where I was yeah, saying yeah, you yeah, should there is, there have something like yeah. that. For example, if you want to do mammography in UK. 
you need to actually do a post-graduation and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that's the way to go. You need to do a post-graduation on mammography to get a diploma to actually do it. So when we do cardiac scan, it's all about in-house training. So if you get a new radiographer coming and you have to teach them, so that radiographer will have all the knowledge and skills that you have, but it's not something that it's basically certified for any board or any... This is why what I think SMR is uh, trying to look at. To achieve, uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're part of the committee, right? I'm part of the committee. Tell yes. us everything about it. How you got there? What is it and how you got there? How can I get like cheap visits? <laughs> <laughs> I have to say it's uh, has been like um, I'm part of the committee since last year. I okay. am submitting a paper to uh, SMR since four years more or less. Um, so and we the technology struck is quite new as well. I think it has exists since three years. Last year was the first one in person because obviously 2020 and 2021 yeah. we were a member what happened there. <laughs> um, so and then uh, yeah there was this technology struck and then I um, approached essentially the the um, the whole committee and then ask if I can participate and obviously I have a little bit of cardiac knowledge so they were just like very welcoming. After so I can see you are one of those people that you look for your opportunities. And yeah, that's what you've been doing so far. And I believe that's one of the good uh, advices that we can give to, yes. to someone that is pursuing yeah. cardiac. Yes. If you want to learn cardiac, you have to pursue that knowledge. You have to look for the courses. You have to look for people like yourself and try to, to speak to them. So yes. please connect with uh, with Filippo. Very happy yeah. to reply. Uh, on LinkedIn, uh, if you're happy to just help Absolutely. out people. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just guide them in those Let's directions. Let's not forget, yeah. guys, that Filippo is also a research radiographer. And here we exactly. open another Land word. <laughs> How is it possible to be a research radiographer? Okay, so what is firstly being, I mean, how it is firstly like being a research radiographer? Yeah. What are the tasks? Because many people say, well, what is actually doing a radiographer in research? I mean, yeah. What, what's the so, day like? In, yeah, in what's the day like? Yeah. So what do you do? Um, depends on your type of involvement in research, I have to say. Um, I, uh, I remember when I started, it was mainly looking at uh, data and spreadsheet and this kind okay. of stuff. <laughs> and then it developed a little bit more with the researcher we have. Well, our is one of the biggest research centers within the UK. Um, so we have researchers approaching us, trying to develop a new sequence, for example, for cardiac MRI, um, trying um, to improve some of the sequence, making it a little bit better. I can't talk, unfortunately, much about that, because obviously <laughs> there is a secret course, yeah. about <laughs> that. Uh, but trying to improve research. So part of your job da daily is the, um, try to accommodate this research, because researchers might looking for a specific patient in which to run that research if maybe a patient with atrial fibrillation or maybe a patient which is needs to be completely normal uh, or patient which has a scar and then uh, from then onwards essentially it's part of your job is just like identify the patient and say oh this patient could be good for this research and then you do the the research on that so specific how, how do you patient. recruit the volunteers to actually go so we uh volunteer uh, we recruit patient okay. um because volunteer it's instead another part of the research. Uh, we recruit uh, patients every single day because we have an ethic which has been approved for patients to be recruited uh, for uh, extra 15 minutes images. And I have mm. to say patients are really uh, keen and this is How something that so, really So they like. have their clinical scan and yes. then if they sign that specific like ethics form, they can go ahead with another 15 minutes that you use for research. Correct. Same yes. scanner, different scanner. Same sc usually same scanner, to yeah. be honest. And how uh, does that conversation go about with the patient? What do you tell them? Um, they they receive essentially inf an information leaflet at home uh, before mm, okay. the, uh, the MRI scan. Um, so they are already informed in some way. Then we are there uh, to answer all the questions. And most of the patients, I have to say, are happy. The claustrophobic one are usually not happy to stay 15 <laughs> minutes extra, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> But uh, they're happy, for example, if we use the images for research and teaching purposes, which is one of uh, okay. the other. So they can decide not to go ahead with the 15 minutes, yeah. but they can allow you to use Correct. the images. Yes. Okay. Okay. Then we ask them if you want to come back, like, for example, what we're doing for the 055. So just come back for another scan on a different machine. Okay, I don't want to sound aggressive. I will try to be very cynical. So you're meaning that the research radiographer, uh, part of their task would be still scanning patient, mostly, let's say 99%, but you will run research sequences, you will approach patients like um, 
to recruit them uh, on board for research purposes and uh, also like liaising with a multidisciplinary team of like engineers. Is this what you mean? Yes, like, correct. And yeah. then part of, I think of, as soon as you get like a bit of an expert in cardiac is also give your input regarding the research, That's how right. you can oh, improve okay. it and everything yeah. else. So That's what I wanted to know, yeah. Do so you actually you, you write contribute. articles yes. as well? Do you guys write articles? Oh, yeah, or? yeah, yeah. So yes. you participate on those articles, you actually have your name on yes. it. Yes. I think that's important because that's most important. of these articles never have the radiographer's name. And I think it's essential that that work that you do is replicated on those papers Absolutely. as well. I actually want to claim something about this to whoever is watching this <laughs> podcast, guys, we need to do more. Because I think our profession is, mass, is massive and has a huge importance. And we need to contribute a little bit more in research, as Filippo uh, is Absolutely. doing, probably. I think we need to put like the name of radiographers a little bit more in papers, because we see a lot of names from, obviously, clinicians, uh, scientists, but then radiographers, you know, they, they contribute massively. It's not just because we perform the research sequence that we are not like contributing in any way. Because I mean, I mean, he just explained us the recruiting part, guiding the. Yeah, you're doing most so, of the, the so, yeah, groundwork, think, basically. Yeah, so I think, I think you're definitely the body that allows this. You have to need to, yes, exactly. We have a, like a very good team over there of researchers which are always willing to put us uh, down uh, in, in the name of the, as the paper, as a second name, <laughs> their name, obviously, but uh, yes, yeah, yeah. it's good. Yeah. And then obviously you can publish something on your own, uh, like ACMR is there for this uh, at this yeah, point with the technology track and everything. How, we, how do we go about that? If I want to publish an article, yeah, this is I'm, I'm writing an article now about remote scanning. Mm. How can I just publish it? Or it's just cardiac, for example. The uh, ACMR is mainly concentrating on cardiac. cardiac um, yeah. But uh, what we each year, essentially, uh, we ask for abstract uh, paper yeah. or report cases or something similar, and then uh, we review, and then the best one, essentially, are going so to come to the So my article is about remote scanning, but also pointing towards contrast injections, cardiac uh, breast biopsies, things like that. The heavy I stuff. know you wanted to talk about this. You heavy, wanted to talk heavy, about heavy this stuff. from the very beginning. <laughs> Cardiac remotely, say exactly. Say. exactly. So I, I want to ask you what, what you think about this, like doing cardiac remotely. And, <laughs> wow, and that's a question I was not ready for. About doing uh, it. People, people are gonna <laughs> hate you, man. <laughs> you always want to speak about remote scanning. Yeah, let, let's speak about remote scanning. I think it, it. I mean, I don't. I the technology is there to do remote uh, remote scanning. That probably you know better than me at this point. Um, I think it's feasible, to be honest. I don't see why not. When you need to have someone, obviously, um, at, at the hospital itself, just to uh, in case the patient is not feeling well for the injection and everything else. But, and as I said, instruction to the patient, instructing the patient and, and all. It's, uh, Philippe, it, listen to me. How can you do like a stress perfusion exactly. remotely? I have a doubt about I mean, that uh, too. Uh, yeah, to yeah. be honest, it scares me a bit. Uh, <laughs> yes. uh, I mean, if scan with scanning is just planning, you can easily do that remotely, I think. Because there is no reason why you need to be on site for that. It's obviously included, uh, but you need to have someone over there for injecting contrast. Like cardiologist, starting, obviously. Uh, yeah. so starting the that's a, that's a good medication. question, actually. Do you scan with a cardiologist or a physician next to you? Yes. Or you do scans by yourself? No, we scan with the uh, cardiologist or physician next to us. Okay. Um, they are not interfering at all with the scanning. So they are just they are there. reporting. Okay. But it's always useful um, to have them because if you have any doubt, if you may be spotting something, that, that they can obviously advise what to do. At some point, you get to the level of expertise. They ask you what to do in that case. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. If you feel like sometimes is a... Uh, an issue about trust or if it's just because they have to be there for you. I'm asking this because where we used to do cardiacs, some of the doctors would like to sit next to us and basically guide us, even if I know how to do it. Some of them don't bother at all. They just say, send me the images. So what's your experience in terms of that? But what do you prefer and what do you do at the moment? I think having a doctor next to you is always useful. First of all, for help in general. And then... Um, I, I, have, I think my level of uh, knowledge in cardiac is there because obviously being always very close to a doctor because they teach me what they want to see. I mean, yeah. one of the main things for a radiographer is knowing what the radiologist or the cardiologist want to what see. They want so to. without that, it would be like, okay, I'm, I've done these images. Is it correct? Is it not correct? I don't know what what's actually are the parameters to say that. Then obviously learning about diagnosis as well. So I can see mm -hmm. there is a, like yeah. a potential myocarditis over there. So 
as a radiographer, I can cross cut it. So avoiding the question from the doctor saying, oh, you should cross cut that part there and just like do that on your own. That's another reason why I think having them next to you, it's, it's important. It's important, yeah. And for you to learn as well, right? Yes. Even if yeah. you're very experienced, there's always oh, yeah, something yeah. different Absolutely. coming every yes. day. And they can tell you this is that or you should do it this way yeah. and you learn it that way. Yeah, I agree. I, think I, I awesome. have to agree. And I think one of the huge advantage of working like in an hospital like this one, so university hospital, is the fact that you li liaise with a lot of different professionals. So you, you would get a little bit of the background, the skills and the competency from everyone. So you will absorb... Uh, I mean, working in a small clinic, it obviously has uh, many benefits, but sometimes being exposed to such a, like a massive environment will allow you to get a little bit more yeah. from the others every time. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting about it. Can I... Sorry. Go oh, ahead. Okay, You're no. going to say something. No, yeah. same things for researcher at the same time, because so, obviously we have the researcher and the fellow, the cardiologist next to us. Uh, so obviously we learn a lot from the researcher as well yeah. on how to prove sequence and, and in and terms all. of researching do you have a research program that you need to follow or there's for example this week we're gonna research about this sequence do you, do you have something planned for the year this should be i think uh it's uh, it depends a lot essentially because obviously you know that there, there are conferences and time for yep. submission so that's the big moment in which all the researchers oh, okay. are quite Got a lot it. at the machine and then there are moments which are quite which like for example three weeks ago it was uh, madness i think in the hospital because there was the approaching of the international um, smrm is called uh, the conference yeah. Yeah. and then uh, while at the moment they're very quiet because they're developing the sequence again analyzing the data and everything else so it's just like so there's always those periods of the year that yeah. you know it's going to be yeah. busy a every time you approach like a massive area. conference yes. everyone will be oh oh yeah this is publication, to this time. publication <laughs> time so then they're all there uh but yeah i would like to ask you one more question and this is going back a little bit to the fact that you work with four different b0 fields imagine you are the ceo and you're opening a new clinic, cardiac clinic only, mm. which do you have to buy two scanners? Which ones would you buy and why? For cardiac at the moment, I would say 1.5 So you would buy two 1.5 scanners? No, 1.5 and 3T. And 1.3T. Okay, so you right. will keep the combination? Yes. Okay, this is a pretty answer, interesting right? answer. Yeah. 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 So, well, I mean, what you, would you scan in one and the other? Well, 1.5 for a pacemaker, general scan and everything. 3T, as I said, for stress mainly, it's it's one of the best machines. We are developing 4D flow as well at some point. Mm -hmm. they, are, they are in development 4D flow, which are amazing for congenital patients. Have you tried it already? No. Just we, tried, um, we tried. We um, tried. Mm -hmm. They are very long in the acquisition at the moment, so they're trying to short, uh, shorten it a little bit. But it's very good for congenital because in congenital you need many, many flow to see that all yeah. the um, veins and artery are actually uh, at pumping the right volume, essentially. So That's what I was going to ask you. We have what, one sequence instead of like six or seven. What the 4D flow is bringing back to the game? What is it bringing for the cardiologist in well, terms of diagnosis tools? From a congenital perspective, like, but also for adults, it's just like you have one sequence in which you can see the whole flow. So if you suspect, like, for example, any problem with the aorta, you can see the whole aortic arch wow, descending, ascending aorta. But if you want to see, like, pulmonary and everything else, you have mm. just one sequence, done everything, and then they can just analyze it. And it's also for them in the moment in which they, uh, they do the analysis, it's... Uh, seeing exactly where is the peak and then try to understand if there is an occlusion, something which is not working or something which is not connected properly and everything is very good. Wonderful. Well, I have to say, well done, Samuel. That was a great question. And actually, it's we'll, not mine, actually. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I have a question as well. And this will be the question that we're going to ask to every single guest will come here. So now the others will say, wow, what is this question? And that will be. <laughs> so here is my question, man. Just be ready. Why MRI? Oh, good question. Um, we didn't prepare, right? Why MRI? No, exactly. <laughs> Next time I'm going to so ask you. So you can take a little bit of time. Like I know it's a very broad question, yeah. but why MRI? It makes me think as well. Why MRI? <laughs> why MRI? Well, first of all, I think because you don't expose patient to radiation, and that's obviously very positive and create like much more opportunity we we as a, as a center we scan also a fetal or pregnant woman which obviously on that's uh, another CD conversation scan, uh, that we need exactly. to have later <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you it's not really recommended to do on a CT or x-ray uh, MRI give you like the opportunity to see most of the tissue or bone and everything else at the end of the day cardiac it's 
really good in MRI, is developing. Um, some sequences are still better in CT, I have to say. I can I can say cardiac, it's perfect, but we are going there. And then it's a very interesting field, I think, for all the research part and all the opportunity you can have uh, compared to other modalities, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's MRI the, is in development, I think. Where Julian wanted to get is uh, why MRI for you. So you're just telling us oh, yeah. why, but if I would like to know more. What what made you choose, like, yeah. at the beginning of your career, instead of going for CT cardiac? Why, why MRI for you then? Uh, as I said, well, the, the, the honest answer, if I have to reply back in time, was just like, oh, I have this opportunity to go to exactly. London. It's amazing. <laughs> Let, let's go. I mean, at 20, That's what happened with me I was like, as well, yeah. MRI is London. Is London. <laughs> why, why not? I'm 20 years old. I'm in London. Amazing. Yeah, let's go. Um, right now, I think, as I said, because they offer a lot of opportunity for research. So it cannot, it cannot be just the usual standard job in which you put a patient on, you you just position the, your slices and then you scan the patient. MRI can, is in development. There is a lot of brain that you can put down. So and you connect MRI with research. And I think this is great, to be honest, because yeah, I think yeah. many of us that work in this field, they think they are two separate words. Instead, they think MRI and research, my God, I think what is going to happen in the future is going to be massive. So let's, get, let's just be ready. I think you might, if you might have a couple of thoughts for us and you just want to leave yeah. us, you can write it here. Do you want to introduce a little Yeah, bit? so basically we're doing this with all of our guests. Um, we just want some comments for everyone that comes here for everything MRI, which okay. is us. So we just want you to take your time and just write okay. us a nice message. We'll probably we'll post it with a picture of ourselves later on. Okay, and nice. And we would like to give you two more minutes to just tell us... If you want to say anything about yeah. any courses, uh, anything that's yeah. coming up or anything that you're doing or you're planning to do, uh, just tell us what, what's going on with uh, yeah. Philippe. If you have any <laughs> questions as well that you want to ask. I uh, know. I think what you've created, guys, is amazing, to be honest. Very interesting. And uh, thank you very much for the invitation. It's been a pleasure being in here. Yeah, it's our pleasure. And... Um, <laughs> And courses, there are plenty of courses, I think, regarding cardiac MRI. So just look online, you're going to find something. Um, as I said, opportunity for SMR as well, if you want to learn something. This year also is in London, so it's in the UK. So Boom! You can... <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, it's across my hospital, unfortunately. Oh, so not there travel, you go, they can just pop in and exactly, say well, yeah. Exactly. And then, uh, yeah, just keep curious essentially just like try always to go above the knowledge you have in some way so just not thinking oh i've done i learned this so i know to do how my how to do my job yes i mean one of the future things that i'm aiming to become is uh, like a reporting radiographer so also, learning also to do the reports reporting not cardiac cardiac yes wow. amazing and so it doesn't stop essentially if you don't want to stop if you can having your job and do your scan and go home if this is what you like but if you want to develop more just like take any opportunity and be just be curious just you, 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 conv you, you convince me okay you for me you're my <laughs> cardiac mri steve jobs i mean i can go away it's all done. yeah i love what you said about yeah. being curious because uh, when we're kids uh, we have that age of the wise why this why that and once we grow old we stop asking questions and i think it's very important what you're saying be curious yeah. just ask questions try to find the knowledge that you need uh, so thank you for that. I think it's a very good advice, not only for us, but for everyone at I home. think, yeah. 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 Well, thank you, Filippo. Thank it's you very much, guys. We'll this. Take your own time. And then we'll continue discussing about cardiac anyway, because I think it's a growing field. We'll learn more in the near future. But in the meantime, I think this was like a very comprehensive discussion. So again, thank you for your time. Thank you. And yeah. enjoy over here. We Fantastic. appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank, thank you. you.